We are in a series in the book of Mark. So if you want to grab a Bible, um, it's Mark chapter 1. But while you're going there, in this series of Mark, one of our purposes is we want to be looking at the life of Jesus because it's an account, the gospel of the life of Jesus. And when you look at someone or something repeatedly every week, our desire is that you would become like them and we'll be shaped into the character and the person of Jesus. But not only that, as we saw last week, the calling that comes with it. So that as we are looking at Jesus, we also want to be... uh, considering what it means to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus, a disciple. Like he, he calls people to be like him, but then he sends them to go. And again today, we want to look at Jesus and then also want to be reflecting on the implications for us as a community. What does a wholehearted follower of Jesus look like on his mission? What he calls us to and the implications of this good news of the person of Jesus. So I just want to recap for us, in case you haven't been with us and you need to just find out where we are in the story. We're still in chapter 1, but it starts with John the Baptist, if you remember. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. He goes before Jesus and he calls people's attention and he prepares the way for Jesus and the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry and his mission. And then what we see is Jesus is baptized and he's filled with the Spirit of God, that wonderful moment that the voice of God and the Spirit of God comes upon him in this beautiful affirmation, and that Jesus is now empowered, he's strengthened that the Spirit of God is in him. And then he, he goes off into the wilderness in preparation for his mission. And what happens in the wilderness is a time of temptation. Satan comes to him and is trying to tempt him. Satan is trying to divert him. Satan is trying to deceive him away from the mission that God has sent him on. And there's this process of, of these 40 days of this temptation, but Jesus is full of the power of the Spirit. And, and the reason it's put there, because Satan knows the magnitude of what's about to happen, that God has come in the flesh. And Satan knows that he's powerless to stop what's going to happen now, this good news of the kingdom of God that is coming. So he can only try and deceive, he can only try and tempt and divert away from what is about to happen. And Jesus overcomes because he's full of the power of the Spirit of God, and he's able to resist, and he returns from the wilderness prepared, and he's ready to get on the mission of God. And it starts with this declaratory statement in verse 15 of chapter 1. If you remember this wonderful statement, the time has come, it is now, the kingdom of God is here. Repent, believe, for this is the good news of the gospel. It's this framing declaratory statement of Jesus. And in very simple terms, not to get too diverted, is he's, he's making two broad claims. And the, the first one is that, that, the, that God's rule and his reign and his power over the lives and hearts of people is here now. And that we would have to repent and turn away from our own rule and our own reign and our own authority and turn to this wonderful life-giving reign and rule and power that Jesus is now bringing by the Spirit of God into the lives of people. It's this wonderful offer, this wonderful good news that there is this life-giving power that has come to reign and rule in your life. And then secondly, he's making this big statement about the kingdom of God. It's not just about the personal reign and rule in the lives of people. He's coming to establish a kingdom. And that kingdom is going to overthrow. It's going to destroy and conquer 
all the things, the, the kingdom of this world and the death and the destruction and the pain and suffering. He's on this mission. And when the presence of God comes and the character of God is present in the spirit of God, the kingdom of God is realized. It begins to overturn and it begins to push back and it makes all things new. And we have this wonderful hope, this wonderful picture that all things will be made new. And this, that's this good news. The kingdom of God is coming, this progressive unfolding and demonstration that is about to begin, the establishing of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the moment that we're looking at today. And it's an epic moment that things are about to heat up. As some would say, it's about to kick off. And you're going to see some epic things happen. So let's read the text in uh, verse 21. Um, let me find my spot. Verse 21 of chapter 1 of Mark. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. And just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And the people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, this new teaching, and with authority? And he even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew, and Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, he, he took her hand, and helped her up, and the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And that evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. And he also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Lord, we just pray for your spirit to be among us today, a manifestation of power of your wonderful truth that will grip our hearts. So what's going on here besides just a, a recollection of some interesting events? There's something overarching that's going on here, sort of behind what you actually read and see. And it's, what's happening here is a physical manifestation of a change of power and authority on earth. It's a physical manifestation of a change of authority and power that is now coming on earth. What is happening is there's a removal of a kingdom with a, and a replacement of it with another one. There is this kingdom of the world that controls, and now there's a kingdom of heaven that's coming to displace and replace. That's what's going on here. And what happens when you have a change of power and there isn't uh, agreement? There has to be a collision. There is a battle. There has to be a demonstration of authority and power over and against the existing one to remove it. In order to do this, Jesus comes and he exerts and he demonstrates for us a new and more powerful life-giving kingdom. And that's what Mark is capturing for us. And you've got to just get that big idea. It's like there is this replacing of a kingdom and the establishing of a new one. This physical manifestation of the spiritual reality that's at play. 
It's a demonstration of the authority of Jesus, and it authenticates who he is. And it then validates this inauguration and the establishment of this new kingdom in which there is a new king who's the supreme authority and king who rules over all of creation. And everything is coming under his authority and control now. And that is good news. That's why he says this is good news. Because this new authority and this new power and this new kingdom, that we are being called out of the kingdom of this world. And we've been invited and called into the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of life, a kingdom of light, a kingdom of joy, a kingdom of healing. And we'll see this kingdom that he's calling us into out of the despair and the dominion that we find ourselves in as humans in a broken world. And it's, and it's good, good news for us. So let's take a moment to look at this demonstration of Jesus' authority. And then I want us to reflect on what are the implications for us. What does it mean for us? At, that this, why, why are they showing us this, this demonstration of his authority and the establishing of this new kingdom? So the first place we see the demonstration of his authority is in verse 21 through 22. And what we find is uh, Jesus shows his authority in his words. He's in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he's teaching. But there's an interesting observation that we see is that Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus says. I can only assume it's the kingdom of heaven, and he's unpacking that, and he's calling them to repent and believe and the implications. But Mark leaves that out for us. We don't know. His purpose, his point of putting this in here is to show us something else. He wants to highlight the authority of Jesus' words, the highlight the authority of Jesus' teaching and the subsequent response of people. There's something else at play he's trying to show us here. And we see that the people are amazed, it says, or astonished, depending on your translation. It says that the people are astonished and amazed at the authority of Jesus' words. And then what do they say? He speaks like no other, not like any of the other teachers. There's something different. And the difference is authority. That's what Mark is trying to show us there. He even says it. He teaches with this new authority. And it's noticeable that people are astonished and amazed. Now, there is a weight of understanding behind the use of the word amazed. And it's not in the sense that we would use it today. Often we would like see something, well, that's epic. Well, that was amazing. Like, I'm really blown away. You know, let me, you know, let me put that on my Insta feed or let me retweet that. That was flipping amazing. That's not what the word means. The root meaning of the word astonished or amazed means to strike a blow. It means to strike out. And in this context, and Mark, when he uses it, he's saying is, Jesus' words are striking a blow of fear. They're striking a blow of panic. He's, he's striking a blow into their lives that is unsettling. They're astonished. They're rattled. There's, a new, there's something different about this. The words of Jesus strikes a blow. Because it comes with an authority. It comes from God himself. And there's an overtone of, in the synagogue that day of fear, a reverent fear, an alarm, and it reflects for us as we look at this, this, this account an awareness of the disturbing character of Jesus' presence and words. The people are aware there's something disturbing and different about this person's presence and his words. And the only explanation that we will be left with eventually is that this is God himself. 
He speaks with such an authority. His words are presented with a sovereign authority. It doesn't leave room for debate or discussion. It's people are being confronted with the truth and the absolute claims that Jesus lays over our lives to full commitment. The, the, the authoritative confrontation of the truth of God comes to them and it lays an absolute claim to ownership over their lives. Repent. Believe. The kingdom of God is here and your whole life and all of eternity is resting on these words and on this person. There is something disturbing about the reality of what's going on. See, Jesus doesn't, when he speaks, he doesn't appeal to some rabbinic tradition. He doesn't quote some some other teacher or some phrase that he's picked off the internet. No, Jesus is speaking. He is the truth. He's speaking the truth with an authority, and his very presence disturbs them. And there's an absolute claim that is presented to them and the urgency of what is happening. It's an authoritative truth that is breaking into the world, and it's establishing the real truth, and it's disrupting and it's beginning to break down the existing truths. It's, it's destroying the existing belief systems that the world is now and has been built on. And there is this life-giving, life-transforming, liberating truth that is breaking in and usurping the existing power systems and, and structures that are in place and belief systems that are controlling the lives of people. And they're troubled because they're confronted with this reality. The second thing is we see in the authority of Jesus in verse 23. So what happens next is there's a validity, an authentication to the authority of his words. And we see it in the confrontation of these two kingdoms. We see it in the commands now of Jesus. We see it in the confrontations that he has with people. His authority is now being extended and it's being demonstrated in his command and confrontation that he has having now with the kingdom of this world in the present physical realm. Immediately, it says, a demon-possessed man shrieks or, or cries out. There's a, there's a response. You can see the unsettling. The status quo is disrupted. Verse 24, this, this demon-possessed man, the demon shouts out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? There's a realization or something's going on here. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And you can see the, the trouble, the disturbance within this man, this demon, is that you've come to destroy us. And there's this realization setting in this. This demon knows the decisive significance of Jesus' presence and this authority that he brings. See, a new kingdom is coming. And the kingdom of this world that this demon has been operating in and reigning and ruling in with Satan, controlling the lives of people and seeing the destructiveness that we experience on a daily basis, he's realizing and understanding that his time is up, that the kingdom of this world is done. He is powerless. There's a new authority, and he can do nothing about it. He's defenseless against the sovereign command and authority of the word of Jesus. Jesus simply says, be quiet, and he's quiet. Jesus simply says, leave, and he leaves demonstrates this authority that Jesus has over this spiritual realm, over the kingdom of this world, to establish a new one. And we should pause for a moment, because I think in our Western sort of inclination of academia and logic and rationality, we forget that in the scriptures there's this spiritual battle that is at play, 
and behind the reality of the physical that we see. And there's a massive moment, and it's not Mark giving us some examples of some interesting events. This is about dominion. This is about power. This is about kingship. This is about conquer and conquest. This is about two kingdoms colliding. And this moment is a drawing back of the curtain for us to see the spiritual reality that is behind the daily realities that we might be experiencing and observing in our own lives and in others. And there's a spiritual battle that exists. And we know this. What's the, what's the most well-known one that we always go to? Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 12. Paul helps us. He says, For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, the kingdom of this world. There's something going on against the spiritual forces of evil. That's the reality that Jesus is now confronting, and he draws back the curtain for us. And this moment in the synagogue is the spiritual reality breaking forth in the physical realm for us to see. And it demonstrates the wonderful good news that there is authority that's come to liberate from the dominion of this darkness of this spiritual realm. And Jesus is on a mission to conquer and conquest and establish a kingdom. And in so doing, he's destroying the kingdom of this world. You notice that when the demon says, have you come to destroy us? It's plural. He's not talking about himself. And Jesus didn't come to destroy the people in the synagogue. The demon knows that him, his co-workers, and Satan, who control the kingdom of this world, who are seeking to deceive and kill and destroy, are now being given notice. Us, you come to destroy us. There's a spiritual battle, and the kingdom of God is breaking forth, and he's busy breaking down and dismantling and destroying. We have this wonderful gospel picture of why it's good news. And Paul, again, in Colossians chapter 1, one of my favorite prayers, in verse 12 to 14, this is what Paul reminds us. He says, The Father, that's God, has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. That God has now come and he's qualified you to be put in this kingdom of light, not a kingdom of darkness, it's the kingdom of light and life and love. And he goes on, for he, that's God in Jesus, has rescued us, there it is, from the dominion of darkness. He's come to conquer this dominion, usurp that authority and replace it with his life-giving authority. He's come to rescue you from the dominion of darkness and bring us, or transfer us, it says, into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. But you now get to be brought into a kingdom with a king who's full of love. And, and, and that's what he's doing. He's, he's breaking the chains. And then it says, in whom we have redemption, we have the forgiveness of sins. Repent and believe. This is good news. The confrontation, the command, and the word with the authority of Jesus is showing his power and the claim that the kingdom of God is here and it's replacing the kingdom of this world and that we might be brought into it. And lastly, it goes more. The authority of Jesus is demonstrated in his touch. In verse uh, 29-31, this world, this kingdom of this world is full of despair, it's full of brokenness and and sickness and dysfunction and death. I mean, we've been faced with this reality for the last 
in more pressing terms over the last 18 months or 12 months. This is a world that's broken. And, and there's physical suffering, sickness, and there's death. And, the, and that's the consequences of this sin that has been broken into creation and that it's existing in the lives of people that we hurt one another and we're physically afflicted. We see in Romans 8 that it says all of creation is crying out as if it's in childbirth, hoping and crying to God to be saved and liberated. And this is this wonderful news that the kingdom is coming and making it all new. And now Jesus demonstrates even further his authority. Just over the physical realm and healing and sickness. After the synagogue, they go to Simon's house and his mother-in-law is sick. And the account is that Jesus heals her. And it just says, <coughs> he touches her. He helps her up. There's no words. There's no commands. There's no confrontations. There's no histrionics and shrieks. There's no satellite TV. There's no show. It's just a simple touch. And his touch is so strong, it dispels sickness and death out of her. He just simply lifts her up. She's healed. And it's this overarching, all-powerful authority of the kingdom that's come. That you can have the touch of Jesus. And he expels that out of... And it, the, the, the magnitude of this, he doesn't just <coughs> expel it. He's on a journey of making things new. We have this promise in Revelation that the kingdom of... He will make all things new. That he's not just stopping it. He's destroying it. And he will make everything new. There will be no more crying. No more sickness. No more suffering. That's the hope and the promise that we have. And it's breaking forth for us here. That we can have now and see. His touch is enough. And it demonstrates an authority over sickness and the physical devastation that we see in the world. <coughs> so there we have this great demonstration of Jesus' authority. And why is that so important for us? Like, why, why is it there? Why is he seeking to demonstrate for us? Uh, and they're not just merely events or cool things to see in the Bible. You have to remember the framing proclamation of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent, believe, and it's good news. And it's all cased in this moment that this is a two kingdoms. You mustn't forget, these are two kingdoms colliding. This is conquer, this is conquest, this is rescue, this is deliverance out of the stronghold of one kingdom into the stronghold of a new kingdom that brings life and freedom. And that's what Jesus is doing for us. And that's what Mark is drawing our attention to, this new authority, this new kingdom with good news. So I want to take the last few moments for us just to reflect on what are those implications for us. Why is that good news? And what does it mean for us? What are the implications for us? And I think one of the first implications that we need to stop at is um, it shows us this passage and these claims and these demonstrations shows us our need. And it shows us our need to come to Jesus. You see, Jesus doesn't come Jesus doesn't demonstrate his authority. Jesus doesn't establish his kingdom. Jesus doesn't call us to repent and believe unless what? We have a need. Unless we are lost without hope. Unless we are under the dominion and power and control of the kingdom of this world that leads to death and destruction. And ultimately we feel it and we know it. It's a reality for us. And what this shows us in this coming and in this declaration of authority, it clearly says to us, that we have a great need 
and our need is to come to Jesus. And that should awaken us this morning. This is a difficult thing for us, and we need the Spirit of God to awaken us to our need and to bring us to Jesus. See, when Jesus, we see in this passage, what happens? Jesus teaches, Jesus delivers, Jesus heals, he demonstrates his authority, and the response is, if you look at the last paragraph, it says, at the end of the day, when the sun was setting, the whole town comes to Jesus and sits at his door. They come with their need. The sick, the possessed, whether it's their own need or someone else's need, the response is, the whole town, everyone has need. And they sit at the door of Jesus. There's an authority here that the implication is that, is that we have great need. And we have to bring that need to Jesus. We're in need of his authority. So let me give us some examples. Um, we need Jesus' authority in our lives. And for many, we don't want someone else's authority in our lives. See, without the leadership of Jesus, without the leadership of his truth, without the leadership of his spirit in our lives, we attempt to lead ourselves. Or we attempt to look to other authorities to lead us. And that leads us down a path of uncertainty and despair. Because we live in an uncertain world that has no absolutes, that is defined by relativism, and you've got no solid ground to stand on. And when you don't have the authority and the leadership of Jesus in your life, you have to admit that you don't have that authority and leadership to lead yourself. We always fail. We don't know enough to know enough. And the things that we look to for authority and leadership at some point always have let you down and don't ultimately give you what you're looking for. We need authority and certainty. And I know many of us would resist. But human beings need a certainty in their lives to function. Otherwise, we descend into despair and dysfunction. We live in this world with absolute uncertainty. Where are you going to get an absolute truth with an absolute certainty that becomes the rock-solid foundation on which you can stand and build your life? And it's this absolute authority of Jesus that you need in your life. You need his truth, and you need a firm ground on which to base your life. And then you can have a confidence in an uncertain world because you know how it ends. You know the truth. We need the authority of Jesus. It brings stability. It brings confidence. It brings a peace. And it brings an order to your life. And the call here is, the implication is, come to Jesus in surrender and submission. Let go of your authority that's the whole call of Matthew. One of the calls is to be a follower of Jesus. It's pick up your cross and follow me. To pick up a cross, you've got to let go of what you're holding. To pick it up. Submit, surrender, repent, believe. There is this life-giving authority of Jesus to bring a certainty, a solidity, a confidence, and a peace, and an order into your life. And it starts with a surrender and coming to the door of the house at the feet of Jesus. It's good news. It's just a step of faith, of submission and surrender. And it leads to life. It's a loving authority. It's not an authority of submission and dominion and destruction. It's authority that sets you free. It's an authority that liberates you. It's life-giving. It's the kingdom of life and light. So 
The implication is we have need and we need to come to Jesus and we need his authority. The other need we have, we see is clear, is that we need, as humans, we need healing and wholeness. When, what we see is when Jesus enters into the world, it's a world that's characterized, what's the immediate response that we see? It's a world that's characterized by sickness and death and demonic possession and oppression. We are in need of wholeness and healing, physical and spiritual. And the people come to Jesus in their sickness. They come to Jesus in their oppression. And it's evidence of our human need for hope and for help. We're all in need of hope. And we're all in need of help. And we carry in our bodies and we carry in our souls such deep brokenness and hurt. And where can you go? This kingdom of the world is not built or designed to help you. It's meant to destroy you. And this is the good news. The implication is with your hurt, with your pain, physical, emotional, psychological, there's an authority that has come and it's tender and it's gentle and it's compassionate and it's kind and it's powerful and it's able to bring and overcome and heal you of your sickness. And we need this touch of Jesus physically and spiritually to bring healing and wholeness. And the kingdom of God is the place where it's found. It's this life is brought. This wholeness is, is you being called into. This wholeness of life with the life giver. And there is a king. There is a king who loves you. There's a king who loves to mend. There's a king who loves to heal. There's a king who loves to make whole. There's a king who loves to bind up your grief and every kind of sickness that you might have. There is a king who knows, who cares, who understands, and he dies to make it possible that you no longer have to live under the afflictions of those curses. Come to Jesus with your need. That's the implication. And this morning, it might be a physical ailment that's afflicting you. You, you might be beset with a physical condition. And we want to pray for you today. We want, to, we want to see you healed. We want to come in a faith in the authority of Jesus and pray for each other at home, pray for one another, that you can come with confidence. It may be a brokenness of heart. There's hurt and pain, suffering. Things that have been done to you or things that you've done, things that you've come to believe, insecurities that have crept in, all sorts of things, pain, fear, and loss that are carrying in your soul and they enslave you. Come, let's pray. Let's bring that to Jesus. He comes to set you free. He comes to make it whole with his truth, to show you who you are, who he is, and the life that he's calling you to. And the Spirit of God brings life. It might be a stronghold of sin in your life. For years and years, many might be living with a dominion in their lives of a sin that they just cannot conquer. And it's destroying them. It's destroying their families. It's destroying them. Relationships, it's controlling you. And you live with a limp. And he says, repent and believe. Come. Give it over to the authority and the power of the word of God and the spirit of God and the person of Jesus. He's come to liberate and save you. So there is, the implication is that we are a people of need and we need to come to Jesus. And lastly, I think corporately there's a challenge for us that, I, that I, as our eldership team, one of the things that we're praying for this weekend is that we would be a community that starts to change and a community that demonstrates the kingdom of God. And you see it here. The, the other implication is that we would become a community that brings people to Jesus. It's not just I receive, it's that I bring and I go. 
We see it here. When the sick and possessed people come to Jesus and sit at his door, note the subtle inference that Mark makes in verse 32. That evening after sunset, what happens? The people brought the sick and the possessed to Jesus. They didn't come. They were brought. People went to them. Jesus comes to us and he sends us to go into this kingdom to establish and advance the kingdom by bringing people to him so that they could be brought into the kingdom. And we need to become a community like this community. It says the whole town, when confronted with this truth and this reality, the whole town comes to Jesus. They bring everyone. Imagine what that would look like if we were a community in Parkhurst in this part of the city that was captivated and renewed faith in the authority of Jesus. And we began to live with that authority, the freedom and the power and the joy that it brings. And we would see other people being brought to the door to meet Jesus. And that should be our response. Look at Simon's mother-in-law, verse 31. She's healed, and then it says, she began to serve them. And that isn't some patriarchal, misogynistic uh, conspiracy of the Bible. The word they use there to serve is the same word that he uses early on in the chapter, when the angels waited on Jesus in the desert in his temptation. They were there to support. They were there to help. They were participating. It's the same word that Mark will use later on when Jesus himself says, I have come to serve. The implication is that when you are brought into the kingdom, that you are positioned, you're made new to serve the purposes of Jesus on the mission of Jesus. And that's the implication for us as a community that we would begin this year, as we go through the book of Mark, we would be amazed at what Jesus does. And we would be a community that is proclaiming the authority and the truth of the kingdom. And we would be a community that is demonstrating the authority and the life-giving power of the kingdom. The miraculous, supernatural work of God. And, the, and we can do this with absolute confidence. We should find our faith and confidence now because we see the authority demonstrated for us here. You've experienced it yourself. We have nothing to lose. We have nothing to fear. The Bible even says the kingdom of God is advancing and the gates of hell can not prevail or stand against it. We have the authority in the person of Jesus. We have the authority in the words of Jesus. We have the authority in the spirit of Jesus. And then we get to come, and then we get to go. And may the Spirit of God help us and convict us. So I want to pray for us now. There's nothing special about me. I don't actually have, I don't think, the gift of healing. But we do have the authority of God and the Spirit of God and the Word of God. So you could just pray for yourself. You could pray for someone next to you. If you're at home, pray for someone on the couch. Pray for each other. I just want to pray these implications for us. And if you're just an act of receiving, hold out your hand. There might be an act of submission or surrender to God's authority. There might be just, I need, I need whatever I need today. Come. And I want to pray for us a commission, like authority and confidence to go. The gates of hell cannot stand against us. Who cares what people think? Life and death. Eternity is in the balance. And Jesus shows us and he empowers us. 
Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this word of your authority and your revelation for us today. It's just wonderful. Like, life-giving, inspiring, that there is a dominion of power that has been broken and that we have been released and made free and brought into the kingdom of light and help us now to live in the fullness of that freedom. We see when the demon leaves that man, there's, there's a struggle. There's a shrieking and a shaking. So sometimes this journey to wholeness and healing is a bit back and forth. And I just pray, Lord, for another step forward today in your authority of your word and your spirit into the lives of our community here, that you would bring a wholeness and a healing. I pray that you would release people from a physical ailment and sickness that is besetting them. Lord, we come to you and our faith is in you and in your power and in your grace, and we ask with confidence that you would heal people today and at home as they're listening, Lord, that your spirit would be upon them. They would sense the presence of God and the desire of God to heal. And we ask for that healing now.